Uh, Good morning one more time. It is great to be with you, and uh, welcome to those people who are watching on our live stream online. That is also great. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you and at the Rock Church, it's always a really good idea to do that. Open to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We are now in the ninth week of this series, uh, Living in Our Father's House. We have, I should have mentioned this at the back before, during the announcements, we have these study guides at the back. We're in the ninth week of 12 weeks, so... But it's not too late. You could grab one if you want one at the back, and you can take notes. We use these uh, through our studies of books of the Bible so that you can take notes during the, the messages so that you can ask questions like, what did he say? What's that mean, <laughs> really? And, uh, but also things that stand out for you, and then there's other questions in there. And so we go into Missional Community Group midweek, and we go deeper into God's Word that was preached on the Sunday before, and we feel that's an important thing. So even if you're visiting today, we've got lots. They're at the back there beside the offering table. You're welcome to grab one and take it with you this morning. We're going to be in chapter 5 this morning. We're, as I said, ninth week, wow, <laughs> of 12 weeks. Uh, it's been quite the series, to say the least. Um, after eight weeks, we're going to see something today that might look like, this text might look like, after last week, if you've been with us, might feel a little odd, like what happened? What were we just looking at? And all of a sudden, it seems to be going somewhere else. And I hope to show you today, not really. But after eight weeks in the first four chapters, we covered basically Paul's instructions and encouragement to his young protege, Timothy, in Ephesus. And we've been saying this every week because it's true that these, this letter and Second Timothy and Titus are essentially responses by Paul to these young pastors, Timothy and Titus, uh, to questions they're asking. What do I do? <laughs> How do I do this? By the way, we're having problems. Help me, right? And uh, that's why he's writing these letters. And so it's been really cool to see this. And we, we've seen uh, right off the get-go in the first chapter, he helped him with some instructions on how to deal with false teachers. It just keeps coming up. I'm not doing it on purpose. It is happening in that day, and it certainly is today, but also followed by instructions related to the gathering of the church, how we do this, how you do it in Ephesus and how you do it to this day. And it included, of course, uh, men's and women's roles in the church. That was fun a few weeks ago. The appointing of leadership in the local church, right? Elders and deacons and what those roles look like and why. And so it's been great to see uh, that teaching. But also we saw last week Paul answering probably the one question that was just like, of all the questions that we don't actually know what they were, but one that Timothy probably asked him, it was like, okay, Paul, Paul, you know, I get, I get the deacons and the elders thing, but honestly, what should I do about the false teachers? What do you want me to do? And we saw that Paul's exhortation to him last week was, Timothy, just stay focused. <laughs> stay focused. Stay focused, first of all, on the word of faith that you were introduced to, the gospel that you were introduced to by your mom, Eunice, which happened to be my mother's name, which is why I like to keep saying it, and your grandmother, Lois, right? Remember that. Stay focused on that. And stay focused on the 10 years of discipleship and MDiv training you got planting churches with me. Stay focused on those things. And then you focus, Timothy, on your own godliness, your own walk of faith with Jesus Christ. You, you just do that, and then, and then you stay focused on the gospel, you stay focused on the word, you read the scripture publicly in the gathering of the church, you preach it and teach it, and Timothy, if you will do that, your people 
will be so well versed in the scripture and the teachings of scripture, they will be able to detect the counterfeit when they hear it and see it themselves. That's a great teaching, right? Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate that because as I said last week, I confessed, I can get caught up on trying to figure out how to deal with those false teachers. It's not the right heart. So that truly was a great word from Paul and for every pastor to this day. And so now today he seems to change focus. I hope to show you that's not really the case. But let's remember this just as a beginning this morning. Why Paul wrote this letter? We looked at these, this verse early on in the, in the study, but it's important to see it again this morning, I think, and it is this. I'll be doing the clicker this morning, and it is this. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 15, this is the reason why I have written this letter to you. So that if I delay, you will know how one, how everyone for that matter, ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So it's about how we should behave as the family of God, not just in the gathering, but week to week as the church. Let's read our text for today. It's a long one. 16 verses. We'll be here until... Okay, let's read. Um, Because we go through these verse by verse, but it'll, it'll flow, I hope. Let's read and then I'll pray one more time. Timothy, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, all in purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If believing women has, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, Let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for today. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for the the time we had in worship this morning where, yeah, we were able and, and we were encouraged just to meditate on being in your presence. We, as your children, can be in your presence and are in your presence every day. 
but it's a special time when we gather together as the church where we really feel the palpable presence of yourself, Lord Jesus, of you, Holy Spirit, and you, Heavenly Father. So I just want to thank you for this word. I pray that you would help us to, uh, yeah, dive deeply into this this morning uh, to learn uh, what it is the Apostle Paul was attempting to say, how they heard it in that day, how it helped and blessed them in that day, and how as well it can help us here today. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So that was a fun text, wasn't it? Wow. It's a great text. So I have a question for you, which is often something that we do here at The Rock. It might seem odd at, at first, but I, I feel like we need to go here first before we unpack this 16 verses. The question is, why did Jesus come? Why? Why did Jesus come into this world? It's a question that actually we ask every Advent, and we will do it again this year when we finish this series. We will do our annual Advent series. We ask it every year. What was the purpose? What was the need? Why did Jesus come into this world? Well, first and most importantly, we know it's because we need a Savior. Amen? That's, that's the main reason. The story of the essential arc of the Bible, as we know, is basically four things, although it's 66 books written over 1,500 years. But the story of God is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So this is also part of the reason why Jesus came. And so we also know this. God created a beautiful and perfect world that was without blemish, without death, and then we, in our earthly, heavenly, our earthly, not heavenly, father and mother, Adam and Eve, we sinned, we chose the lie that we could be like God or could be God, and we disobeyed his holy word. We did, I'm including us in them, because that's what the scripture teaches us, and it's true. We ushered sin into this world. That's why Jesus had to come. That's the key reason why he had to come. We did that. And sin is, of course, and we've been over this a few times, it's worse than, and it's more terrible than any other disease that will eventually take most of us out of this life. It's, it's like, and I, I pictured it this way, it's like this, this uh, perpetual you know, million paper cuts that just keeps happening to us. Even when we come to faith in Christ, we fall back into that old sinful nature and we continue to sin, and it's what keeps us actually from the life that we've been redeemed to live. But he came to save us from our sins, and he did. And so the truth is, we know that when we are born, we are actually born dead spiritually. We are, all of us were or are born dead, separated from God, and we live out our lives, and we live out this sin, as I've proposed to you, with these million paper cuts. So the first reason Jesus came was to provide the payment necessary for the sins that so our sins, pardon me, so that God could righteously forgive us. I mean, I know most of you know this. It's, it's the gospel. I'm just repeating it for an important picture and reason this morning. And welcome us, therefore, into his presence, making his, us his actual true children once again and for eternity. So that payment on Jesus' behalf was his holy, perfect, and righteous life. So Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, therefore, was in our place and for our sins. His resurrection from the dead, then, is our hope. It is our hope. And if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you are now born again. 
That's why we say that. That's why that is what we are told we want to be, is born again, unto a new life today and for eternity. And so that is the reason why Jesus came. The definite article, capital T-H-E. That's the reason. Salvation. Salvation. But there's more. (laughs) And that is why it is such good news. There's more. Another reason, then, is the key benefit that you and I receive in Christ as a result of Christ's work. He accomplished our salvation on the cross, and as a result, he began the work of the restoration of all things, beginning with you and I, and reversing reversing the effects of the fall. And, of course, you remember the garden story. The effects in the garden were immediate, were they not? Adam and Eve, the moment that they ate of the fruit that they were not to eat of, well, they died spiritually, but they also recognized that they were naked. And and that tells us that right then and there, their marriage relationship was broken. It was broken. And so when later, when God told Eve what the consequences would be, and then Adam, those consequences were specifically related to their marriage relationship. It was going to be a battle. The battle of the sexes, as we said several weeks ago, began then. Not in the 60s when I grew up. Then is when it began. Well, you also realize the other part of the story. Then they had kids, right? And, of course, their first two sons were Cain and Abel. The first offspring of our earthly mother and father one day ended up in the field in a conversation and a confrontation, and out of anger and jealousy, Cain, murdered, spilled the blood of his brother in the field. Brotherly relationship broken. Family relationship broken. So from that day to this day, all of our relationships have suffered and are broken in some way, shape, or form. And I know some of you understand that, and it's been hard for you. So another key reason why Jesus came, he came to reverse all the effects of the fall. He came to redeem and restore our marriage relationships, our family relationships, our friendships, our working relationships, marketplace relationships, master-servant relationships, employer-employer relationships. He came to reverse the effects of the fall and redeem and restore those things And our text for today, I know that you think of that as a long introduction, not as long as mine last week or Rudy's the week before. Amen? Right? But that's the point. I think if we miss that, we miss the beauty of what we see here today. So I highlight this to begin this morning for this reason. In these 16 verses, you don't hear the name Jesus. We don't don't hear. We read all these things about you know, older men, young, older women, younger brothers, sisters, widows. And we're like, okay, there's obviously important teaching here. But this text is about, like Paul teaches in other parts of the Bible, Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, about how Christ has come to redeem and restore our relationships. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so even though his name is not mentioned in this text, like we like to say often, he's the hero of the story. He's the reason why these things that are being taught by Paul to Timothy and to us today are true and are good for you and for me. Lastly, before we read our first two verses, um, this story this morning, this passage this morning is about two families. We've been over this before as a rock church. There's your birth family 
you know, your mom and a dad who, who birthed you into this world, the nuclear family. That was a word that George W. kind of butchered from time to time. But it's, I like to call it your birth family so I don't replicate the way he said it. But there's also your blood-bought family. That is the church. And so we're going to see those two families represented in this text today. Look at with me verses 1 and 2, and then we'll have a look at this text for today. Again, he writes to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, for, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, all in purity. So as I said earlier, our text for today, may it seem at first a little out of place, especially after last week. Well, as we've learned before, the chapter breaks in your Bibles don't actually exist in the original Greek manuscripts. And so this conversation or this instruction from Timothy didn't stop where we stopped last week. It keeps going to what we see here today. And so these are further instructions for Timothy, first of all, and for the church as well. And so we should see that Paul is first addressing these verses here to Timothy. And so if you remember back actually into last week, into Uh, chapter 4, verse 12, uh, Paul said to him, it won't be on screen, but he said this, let no one despise you for your your youth, Timothy, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love in faith and in purity. And we looked at it at that time. We know that Timothy's probably 30, 32 in a church of multiple ages and all generations, and he'd probably written to Paul and said, hey, Paul, help me here, because some of these older men, you know, have been in the the scriptures for a lot longer than I have, are, are, they're really hard for me to lead. And so Paul's encouraging him that you, you shouldn't worry about that. That yes, you're a young man, but you've been gifted and called and put there for a reason. But this then here in these verses is a good word to Timothy, isn't it? It's an actual word to Timothy that is saying to him, listen, because of that, then you need to have an approach, a posture towards the older men in your life and in the church and the way that you engage with them. Not just for Timothy, though. For all of us. How we treat older men, as we'll see also older women in our church. So it's a good word for him and for all of us. A good reason for that is as Timothy is also charged later, we'll see, and he was in the beginning, but we'll see it again later, and next spring, probably next January, hopefully, Lord willing, as we go into 2 Timothy, that he's charged to rebuke and exhort false teachers, many of whom would have been older men. And so there's, there's a way that he's being encouraged to do that. And so how is Timothy to do that? I love this word here. <laughs> it is the word he's to encourage. Okay, I, I know a lot of you in the Rock Church are parents. When you've had to discipline your child, did it feel like you were encouraging them? (laughs) Rebuking them, exhorting them, disciplining them? It's a great word. Encourage him as a father. So what does encourage here mean? Well, it means the way in which you admonish, correct, or rebuke an older man is with respect. Is with respect. I remember many years ago, I've shared this before, my dad, I didn't know growing up that my dad might have faith. I didn't think he did. My mom was Catholic, therefore my sister and I were raised Catholic. But there, was, there were a couple times, but there was one time in particular where I was pretty concerned with his health and his lifestyle, and I had to have a talk with my dad. <clears throat> my dad was much larger than me, which most men are. Uh, but you know, there were times when I was a little bit, ah. Oh, intimidated by my father because he was a boxer and he was a very strong man. But I loved my dad. 
and I had to have a talk with him. I think it went reasonably well. He got a little angry at one point, but I look back on it, it was like, I, I spoke to him differently, I think, than I would have spoken to an older man in my employment relationships or whatever. And so I learned from this text that, no, 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 hold on, hold on. In the church family, well, in life anyway, but in the church family, it should be a matter of respect for older men and older women. On that point, I also have to say this as an illustration here for all of us here today. I I noticed this beginning and again. We were the original rebels, 1960s, you know, the baby boomers. Yeah, we were the hippies, right? Bucked all authority. And, uh, but we were the, the first people, I think, generation, maybe we weren't, maybe it started back in the days of the church, I don't know. But we were the ones who were like, yeah, people who are old, they're like dinosaurs. Like, no, like, we know what's going on, you know. We've been going to university, we, we understand what's going on in the world, and we, we did not show that level of respect to older men, as a man, or older women, for that matter. And that was to our disadvantage, do you get that? I had a mentor one time who said to me, he said, when he was trying to encourage me in my faith, but also in my business life, was to say, you know, Glenn, a really good exercise for you, because I see something maybe lacking, you should, you should, you know, at church or even in business, you should look to some men who are maybe 65 plus and uh, ask them to go out for lunch and ask them to tell you their story and listen to them. Some of the best advice I was ever given. And so that is what Timothy's being encouraged to do when it comes to speaking to older men. Speak to them with respect. And that's a lot of wisdom right there that you'll learn. So Paul's instruction goes on to how we treat younger men as brothers. <laughs> I thought about this earlier today. It's like I didn't have a brother, I had a sister. And even her and I fought. But I've seen relationships between his brothers, right? Older brother, younger brother. We had three sons, and I saw the way our middle son uh, would provoke his older brother. It was just like, so I'm not sure, Paul, what you're getting at here. But I think what he's getting at is that uh, we should treat them as our brothers, people we actually do care about, people that we do actually need to be less selfish towards, (laughs) and we need to share things. I remember the first time my mom learned the lesson Maybe it was Janice learned the lesson that if there was a piece of pie left, to ask one of the boys to cut the piece of pie uh, to share with his brother, and, but his brother would get to pick the piece first. And that was awesome. Very carefully cutting that piece, right? Brothers. And yeah, yeah younger women as sisters. And, and that, those words there are pretty, pretty important, gentlemen, in the church especially, all with purity. So let's be sure that we note this. Certainly this is true in the birth family, but this is instruction about how we treat one another in the blood-bought family, which is the church. It's therefore instructions for how we would treat one another so that we might have functional family. Well, there's a word for you. Anyone ever experienced dysfunctional family? Come on. Right? So we, we, we know what that looks like. We've all been part of the dysfunction, not always laying the blame at the feet of our moms or our dads or our brothers or sisters, aunts and uncles, in-laws and outlaws, you know. The point of these teachings, the point of what Jesus has come to do is to reverse the effects of the fall and place us into functional family. 
And so that's why as pastors and elders and as members of churches, when we see people in the church not being kind to one another, not living out the gospel in these things, it's painful because we're supposed to be modeling within the church but also in the culture, functional family. So that's part of the lesson that we're getting at here. And lastly, that part about all purity. And this is important in the church because, again, like if you're young and you're single here today, you're probably thinking, are there any young single girls here? Hello? And or guys here, whatever. And yeah, yeah, we understand. But it's with all purity. You're to treat her like your sister, not like your next date. Or I don't think I need to explain that. So finally, as we will see, Lord willing, next year when we study Paul's letter to Titus, there's a clear sense of propriety. Women, older women should be discipling younger women, not necessarily in age, but in faith. Men with men, same type of thing. There's, there's, there's a level of propriety there as well. And that speaks to all of us, especially those who are in pastoral or leadership roles. All right, we've got, we've got literally 14 more verses to go. And you're saying, preacher, please pick it up, right? Okay, here's the first verse. Verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. The first word is uh, critically important. As we will see from the context, it's referring to honoring certain widows in a specific way, but it is about honoring all widows in the church. And so we're going to see that laid out in this text today. So there's also an important view that this honor is the same that is used when we are instructed in Ephesians 6 to honor our father and our mother. It's the same word. It's the same idea. This word does, yes, imply a financial assistance, but it also means respect. Remember what it says in Ephesians about how husbands are to love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands, to honor their wives the same principle. So it's honor here. And it's not just in financial terms. It's an honor and a respect also because many, many women in our culture today, maybe who are widows here today, and we have widows in our midst here today. You know that, right? I don't want the widows to put up their hands right now, but just as a show of hands, this will be an interesting test. How many of you know personally, alive alive today, living today, a widow? in your family or in the church, right? We have widows here today. And we also know that those who we'll see this next week who are involved in the preaching and teaching of God's word are worthy of what? Double honor. It's a form of respect, but there's an, there's an element to it of potentially financial need. So the definition of a widow then, then and now is this, a woman whose husband has died. That's pretty simple, right? It's, it's a definition of one who is a widow. And as I've just said, we have, we have widows in our church. Most of the widows who are in our church today um, have not come to us or through the family of the church at any given time and said, I, I, I need the financial help of, of the church and so forth. Some have in the past. But I also want to highlight this for you today as I'm preparing this text this week. Um, I don't know if all of you know this, but we have a new widow at the Rock Church. Friday morning at 7.30 a.m., Paul Williams passed away at Lionsgate Hospital. His wife, Judy, who I've been in contact with since that day, is a new widow. She's doing really well. 
Paul was a believer. I walked with him a few times and heard his story and testimony. It was fantastic. So what an assurance to know that Paul is in the presence of the Lord right now. Amen? Judy only asks for prayer for her son, who's 39 years of age, and dad's passing is a shock. He was ill for four years, five years, with cancer. Hardly ever, ever been able to be in the church, which is why many of you don't know who he is. So we have a new widow, and so we need to honor her and bless her and care for her. And that's the other thing. It's not just financial need. Ongoingly, I think for every widow, this would be a true statement. There's emotional support needed. Janice and I are right now walking with her mom, who is dying. Her health is failing. We know that. She knows Jesus. Her husband went to be with Jesus a, year, a little over a year ago. It'll be two years ago this March. She's a widow. She needs a lot of care. She needs not financial help, but she needs our care. And we're really, really proud and to be able to do that for her. So now the issue of caring for widows in the early church was actually a big issue. It was a huge issue. We already learned uh, a few weeks ago that the, the role of deacons in Acts 6 was actually brought about because the apostles of that time were like, we need to continue focusing on prayer and the preaching of the word. So we need, we need some people to help serve the widows because there were a lot of widows in the church at that time. And there were quite a few widows in Ephesus at that time. And so we learned that last week. And it's an important thing. And so Paul goes on in verse 4, and we'll pick it up here for you. In verse 4, he says this, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. So, so, so Paul switches here, kind of, not completely, to the birth family and says to the birth family and to those of you in the birth family here who have a mom, a sister, an aunt, a friend who is a widow, you first need to care for her. You first need to do that. That's your responsibility. It was was a huge point, however, also in uh, the day, of course, and may, may have been a little bit, some people would say, more of an issue in Ephesus culturally in that context in that day, and yes, for certain reasons. I mean, in that day, uh, there were no social security safety nets. There were virtually none. In fact, it was very difficult for women to ever actually possess what belonged to their husband when they died. It's not like they had the vote. Hmm. It's very different days. And so the emphasis is important, but it's also lessons for us here today. So these instructions then for us today in the church, the blood family, is that our responsibility to care for our own first is what he's getting at, and not let them, as we see in the end, become a burden to the church. James put it well, the stepbrother of Jesus, in uh, his first uh, chapter of his book, in verse 27, when he said this, religion, you heard the word that, you know, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, or that religion's a bad thing. Hold on. James says this is the definition of religion. That is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so Paul's words to Timothy here are, tell the church to practice their religion in their own family, first of all. That's what I believe we're seeing from him so far. He then says in verses 5 and 6 this, she who is, there we go, truly a widow, left all alone, 
has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So there's quite a stark contrast here, right? Gee, thanks, Paul. <laughs> He's writing into a context into a church that he knows. So this is, these are true statements, but it's still very difficult. The widow who is truly needy is, we see here, is the one who is left all alone. And yes, she has set uh, her hope on God. She continues in supplications and prayers, but she's also known in the church as such a woman. So these are identifying marks for us as a church in this text here, I would suggest. On the other hand, we have here the self-indulgent widow who is dead by comparison. Uh, One commentator I read uh, referred to this type of widow as the jingly jangly type. (laughs) Not trying to be mean. This woman's life is marked by indulgence rather than by dependence. She's living for pleasure. She too, however, needs the church. Amen? There's a level of loneliness, especially in younger widows that can come, older widows too, that, God, why did you let this happen to me? And one's faith and walk can be a struggle. He goes on in verses 7 and 8 and says, Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for a member of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Can, Can I just ask a really, I don't know if it's an obvious, but an important question right now. Is there any parsing of this that makes it sound easier for us? Is there not some weight applied to this? There is. So it's a challenge, but that's why he starts off with the word, command this. Let the people in the church know this. You must look after your widows. And may I add, your widowers? I asked the question earlier. I actually studied and looked around. Why does he not mention widowers? Well, there's a reason, but primarily because there were far more widows. Men were dying younger in those days than women, including today, although the gap has narrowed. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Anyway, he then goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, let a wid- widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Okay, hold on. Here we go. Some rules. Some qualifications, apparently. Having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has, and you'll see I've, I've highlighted the word has in our text, I think, on screen, brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So I believe what we're reading here are, at least in that day, Paul is writing to that church, the qualifications of a widow who is truly needy and worthy of the honor that the church can and should provide. These are the teachings. If she meets this test and is truly needy, Paul is suggesting she should be enrolled. And so Paul's also saying to the church, you should make a list. We don't have a list right now. Elders, we, maybe we should make that list. Maybe we should, right? And be praying for that list, at least checking in with that list. But that's what it says. And finally, Paul lists some qualifications for being on the list. I want to come back to that. We'll just conclude by reading the rest of our text for today. And then he says in verses 11 and 12, but refuse 
to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Keep that in mind. He then goes on to say, besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Is he just making this up? (laughs) Or is this by observation? I don't, honestly, I I want to be really careful here and clear. I don't know any widows like that. I don't. Have I seen some in the past? Yes. Yes, I think maybe you have too. He then gets to these verses. So I would have, (laughs) I'm sure every woman in this church who's under 60 years of age is looking at these verses going, oh, yeah. I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. So again, what a stark contrast we have. But I want to encourage you this morning, as we're going to get to our conclusion, we should not look at this teaching here today as the manual. So let me see. Uh, you're a widow as of when? Like uh, One week ago? <clears throat> okay, so let's go through the checklist. Some actually, I think, look at it that way. That is not the idea whatsoever. But I do believe it's this. Good teaching for good discernment and wisdom amongst the members and the leaders of the church. Amen? I think that's what it is. Finally, he says in verse 16, if any believing woman... Any of you in this room today watching online who are believing women, and I hope and pray and I believe all of you are, this is to you, who have relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So that, that's, it, there's a charge on us as men, there's a charge on us as women here to, to be doing this, Right? And so notice it's relatives. It's not your mom. So this could be your mother, your grandmother, your aunt, your uncle, your sister, who's a widow. That's the call. And so what, at the end of the day, I want to conclude by sharing this with you. What is is the main lesson or takeaway that we can take from this? Well, benevolence, I love that word, uh, is a very important feature in the local church, especially when it comes to family members. Um, We have a benevolent ministry, a benevolent fund here at the Rock Church that we manage. What's it for? Well, it's money that is put aside for people who are truly in need. And so there are many lessons that we can get from this text, not just about widows who come to us or we know or we find out about are in financial need and in financial stress, but others in the church lost their job. They got to pay their rent. So there's wisdom and discernment we're being taught here about who, what would it look like for a person who's truly needy? Just a quick little couple of anecdotes before I close that we've experienced over the past 14 years. Because here's something maybe you're not aware of. I get a call or an email once a month minimum from somebody going, ah, yeah, uh, in Squamish, I lost my wallet, I got no money for gas. Uh, Hey, could you help me? (laughs) We're the church, right? Who do you call? Actually, some of us who are pastors in the churches together thing, we text each other every once in a while. Hey, did you get a call from somebody about this? 
Why are we doing that, though? Are we stingy? No. A couple of instances. Uh, many years ago, I used to work at Union Gospel Mission, and we, we taught people don't give panhandlers or people on the street cash. Please don't do that. They're going to buy drugs or alcohol. Do we all know that? Of course. So what? Buy, buy them a hamburger, whatever. Tell them to go to Union Gospel Mission. Ha- walk them there. Help them, whatever it might be. Many years ago, I, so we had some people who were in need, so we thought, oh, well, here's a great idea. We'll go to Save-On, and we'll get some Save-On you know, cards for $100. And so we started giving those out to people who were in need, who came to us as a church, not members of our church, but people in the community. And then we found out, darn, they can take those coupons to uh, save on and get the cash. Mm, learned a lesson there, right? Had an individual come to us one time, a rent situation, very difficult situation. We were like, okay, how we, should we do this? Well, we're not giving you the money for it, so you can pay the rent because we don't know you. We don't know what you're going to do. So who's your landlord? We found out with the landlord. We cut the check, gave it to the landlord. Found out a few weeks later, that the landlord, landlord was her drug dealer. By the way, that's your money that you give to the Rock Church that we're... So there's lessons here for us when it comes to benevolence. Friends, we, these instructions on how we are to treat older men and women in the church, younger as well, and of course widows, are just a small ex- example of, of ways in which Jesus wants to redeem and restore us personally and our relationships and families. Amen? Let's learn from that. Let's, let's meditate on God's word as we go into missional community group with this week. And let's, let's talk about that. Let's identify widows. Let's talk about how we care for them. Let's talk about the struggles of whether we should put mom or dad into a home rather than into our home. That's a struggle. I've been through that with my mother, and we're going through that with Genesis' mother. But talk about those things. Learn from Scripture how to care for your your mom, your dad, your grandmother, your sister, your aunts, your friends in the church. Pray with me, would you? Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we again are so grateful that we get to come here uh, once a week at least, but on the first day of the week, on the day that you rose from the dead, Lord, that, that points us to that, that's the day, that's the day. And the church started gathering after that on the first day of the week as a result of that. And so, Lord, we're here today to remember you, uh, to, to, to show our adoration and love for you by gathering uh, in your name, singing worship and praise to you. Um, also, Lord, to, to just uh, bless one another and to sit under your word and have you, Holy Spirit, uh, <laughs> use whatever words the preacher brings to actually encourage our hearts as we come here to hear your word read and to learn and glean something from it for us. So, Lord, I pray for our church family. I know, Lord, I know that our church family is very generous. And so, Lord, we are thankful for that. And, Lord, I just pray that there are some lessons and ways in which today that you can encourage us on on how we have honored widows in our own families and in our church family, but also how we could do that more and better in the future. And I pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name. Amen.